Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, friends and family. This is the Create Culture Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I am so excited for today's episode. We're going to be discussing some things that are going to help you move forward, to grow in your life, to think differently. And I want to see you changed. I want you impacted. And this is going to do it. And so today I have one of the most incredible guests that I could ever have on my podcast. And there is a reason why I brought my wife, Kelly, back on board. Today we are going to discuss the topic of emotional intelligence. Now, some of you may or may not be familiar with emotional intelligence, but is your ability to be aware of, identify, and communicate your emotions, as well as being able to perceive someone else's. And so my wife, she has taught me a, a whole lot about emotional intelligence, um, just the aspect of being able to freely share what I'm feeling. And, and I know growing up, I never learned to identify my feelings. I went through a lot growing up, a lot of different aspects of trauma. And if you've dealt with trauma, just know that you are not alone. You can get through this. And there are people around you who love you and really want you to heal. And part of that healing process is talking it out. And my wife has helped me a ton to be able to decipher and communicate the emotions that were underlying. And this has helped me in the healing process, and it can help you too. So, baby, welcome to the podcast. Um, let's just start off with y- your definition of emotional intelligence. There are so many definitions, and I actually want to hear your perspective. What do you think emotional intelligence means? Hey, friends. It's so great to be back on with you. And actually, honey, I think that you said it really well. Emotional intelligence is recognizing and identifying, properly labeling your emotions and the emotions of other people. I would like to add to that also knowing how to respond to emotions, knowing the next step. What happens after you identify and properly label the emotion, recognize it for what it is, feel it all the way through in yourself or call it out in somebody else and say, hey, I think you're feeling sad is knowing what to do next. I think that is part of having a high emotional intelligent quotient, is knowing what do you do next and being able to recognize emotional triggers, social relational triggers, you know, those interpersonal dynamics that actually spill into behavioral science, psychology, that plays a part in emotional intelligence because if you have the knowledge of how to do higher math, for example, but you never apply it, well, you're intelligent, but you're not being very useful. That That is so good. I never thought of it that way. And as I was doing more research on emotional intelligence, um, a lot came up, and there is a lot of research as well as a vast amount of tips and aspects of growing in your emotional intelligence. And and it's interesting that they call it emotional intelligence because it's not something that's set. Many people say that your IQ is is something that is set. 
but for emotional intelligence uh, from research and even from our relationship, um, you can grow in it. And so if you're listening out there, you can grow in your emotional intelligence. You can grow in your ability to observe, identify, and as Kelly was saying, the what's next after identifying the emotions. And this is huge in many aspects because it has affected our marriage dramatically. It's affected our parenting. It's affected my professional and, and personal life. And so if you're, you're listening out there and you want to know if this can really change your life, it can. It's going to take time. It's going to take work. And really, it's going to take a lot of mistakes. And so really, I want to bounce the first, uh, second question to you, honey. Um, what, are, what are some things that you can remember in our marriage where you have helped me grow in the emotional intelligence because you've been a role model to me. I, you know, as you're listening out there, I grew up not necessarily in in dysfunction. I, I had great parents who did the best they could, but my birth parents were not around. And so my aunt and my uncle actually raised me. And so if you can only imagine coming coming from a different country at a young age, and then all of a sudden growing up in a family that was not originally your own, and then going through a lot, which you've probably going through, a, you're going through a lot, or you've gone through a lot if you're listening. And there was a lot of bottled up emotion. And when I met my wife, she helped me to sort a lot of it out. So honey, if, if you want to go into some tips and, and just how you've helped me in the process, I'm sure this is going to be valuable for the audience. Well, the example that comes to mind first actually has to do with your adoption scenario. And going very personal here, for the longest time, you would tell me that your parents, the aunt and uncle who raised you, tried to adopt you. They almost adopted you. Problem with that is they never finished the adoption. So technically, you were never adopted. And there was this gaping hole in your heart that you just refused to acknowledge was bleeding you dry. So there was some Air Force event, I forget what for, where you had to give a little speech about yourself and you had to talk about how you were raised, your upcoming uh, adoption, that sort of thing. And I remember the night that you were practicing for it you kept trying to figure out a way to say that they hadn't quite finished the adoption. It was unresolved. Mm. And I became the mean wife for a few <laughs> minutes. I remember that. I forced you to say the words, I was not adopted. And when you said those words, it was like this dam broke inside of you. And you just fell apart. Literally fell on the floor, just sobbing, just a pile of tears. And then you finally said the words that you needed to hear yourself say, I'm an orphan. I was not adopted. They did not adopt me. And the reason it was so important for you to say those words was because if you don't acknowledge there is a wound, you can't clean it out and take care of it, suture it up, and let it heal. It's just going to keep bleeding and festering. And just like in the physical body, 
an untended to wound that becomes infected can get in the bloodstream. That's called sepsis. When somebody goes septic, they can die very quickly from that infection. It doesn't just stay localized. So wounds in the heart, wounds of the soul, emotional wounds, trauma, different events that cause undue amounts of pain, when they're not addressed, when you don't acknowledge them, when you don't call them out for what they are, and then move through the steps of grieving and healing, they affect every area of your life. And it was affecting your parenting, our marriage, your work. It was this underlying shadow that just was cast on things and you never knew why. You never could quite put your finger on it. And anytime you would bring up your parents, your relationship with your siblings, there was always this lurking darkness that just was in the room, you know, and you needed to finally admit to yourself you were not adopted. And that hurt. You needed to finally admit there was pain that they never finished the process. And then in admitting that, you have to also realize there's some other thoughts that come connected to that. Thoughts like, was I good enough? What if I wasn't good enough? What if they didn't really want me? What if they didn't really love me? Why wasn't I good enough? How come they didn't love me enough to finish the process? Did they even want me at all? And all those thoughts can never come if you never address the issue. Those thoughts deal with identity. They have to deal with self-worth in a person. And when you struggle with your self-worth and you struggle with your identity, even on a subconscious level, it affects everything. It makes you question who you are. And sometimes people come off as overly authoritative prideful or super insecure with a false sense of humility, it just creates a mess. So when you actually admitted those words to yourself, I was not adopted, you took that first step in the healing process that was long overdue, much needed, and in our case, perfectly timed that night. Wow. Yeah, I remember that night and... The reason we, so we, we talked about this right before we, we shared the story because we really want to be raw and real with you guys that healing takes time. And sometimes you don't necessarily know what you're feeling because these emotions have been so bottled up and confronting them is the first step. It's almost like untwisting a cap to that carbonated drink. And all of a sudden it erupts. And, and, and I want to tell you that there's got to be people around you who are going to help nurture and help you grow and also being able to see the messy side of things because life is messy. Emotions are messy. Healing is messy. <laughs> and for some of you who may have a religious background, Kelly and I are, are Christian and I know in some areas we've been taught that when you become a Christian, everything is great. Everything is perfect. And emotionally, if you have anything negative that happens, well, there's probably something wrong with your walk with God. But, but I, I want to really just affirm your emotions. I want to affirm the fact that if you have had trauma in your life, 
and there's an aspect of you that just really needs to fall apart, it's okay. God has you. He sees you. He knows you. You can fall apart before him. And thankfully, my wife was the one to be the in-between who God really spoke through to allow me to fall apart, to confront my past, and to confront emotions that at the beginning I couldn't identify. And she helped me to identify those feelings, which now even feeling some of those things, the, the sadness and the emotions that come with the past, it has helped me a ton to heal through that. And, and there's so much wisdom in this and being able to confront, being okay with falling apart and allowing the, those broken pieces to be put back together. And as I'm discussing this, I'm reminded of Japanese pottery where these broken pieces are put together and they put gold in between the seams and they make it beautiful. Now I'm going to butcher it because if you want to look it up, you can look into it. It's kintsugi. Now correct me because I don't speak Japanese, but it's, it's beautiful, beautiful art. And even as I was discussing this story, um, my wife's like, you look like you're going to cry. And, you know, I, 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 I felt the emotions. I, f I felt the pain. And I felt all those different aspects that hurt. And it's okay. If, if you've been hurt out there, it's okay. And with time, you will grow. And with time, it will get better. And so really just going back into um, to your life, hun, and being able to observe how you've helped a lot of people walk through in their emotions because really confronting, being aware, is one of the first steps in, in growing an emotional intelligence. And we wanted to bring you stories, uh, friends and family, because it's easier to listen to stories because you can identify with it. You know, facts tell, but, but stories sell. You've probably heard it. In stories, you find yourself in it, and you can identify and really see yourself within it. And so, honey, really just ending uh, and leaving everybody here some tips to grow in their emotional intelligence and maybe just starting off with self. What are some key things, key areas, or, or bits of wisdom that can help them begin in their walk in this area because emotional intelligence is so broad. So maybe the beginning parts of it. Absolutely. I just want to dispel a myth real quick before I get into tips that you can implement in your life to begin to change your emotions and adapt, raise your EQ. The myth I want to dispel is regarding Christians in particular. Elijah wanted to die after he had the encounter with Jezebel and the prophets of Baal. Jonah, the prophet, sat under a broom tree and told the Lord, just take my life, just let me die. It's not uncommon to see in the Bible various prophets, kings, you know, people of position, power, authority, whatever, have moments where life sucks, they admit that. I think because some of the Word of Faith movement 
got a little skewed. The blab it and grab it kind of thing happened and people thought that if they let any negativity out of their mouths whatsoever, it's going to instantly magically manifest. But there's a difference between professing something, desiring something and confessing it, standing in faith for something and acknowledging reality. For example, if I break my leg and I go to the doctor, the doctor takes an x-ray, he says, ma'am, your leg is broken. I can say, okay, great, thank you. What needs to happen? He says, well, we're going to have to set it, put a cast on it, and you're going to have to stay off of it for six weeks. Okay, great, thank you. It's not wrong for me to receive the care I need for my physical body, to actually go and get somebody who has studied the human body, particularly maybe the bones or just a general practitioner, family doctor who can look at my body and say, yes, your leg is broken. Here's what we need to do to solve this problem, to get you better, to get you healed. First of all, it's not wrong to go see somebody who has authority and knowledge in this area, somebody who would be considered an expert. Secondly, it's not wrong to allow them to treat you to get that physical help that you need. Or, you know, in this case, my leg be healed. Thirdly, it does not negate faith. I can still stand on the word of God. No, not physically taking a Bible and putting it under my feet. Can if you want to, but that's not what I mean. I can take the verses in the Bible that pertain to healing and speak them over my life. I can read them and I can believe them and I can put my faith in the healing power of God even while the doctor is setting my bone, putting the cast on, and telling me to stay off my feet. That does not take away from my faith. Likewise, the same can be said of people who go to therapy, who see a counselor, who are on psychotropic or you know, other types of medication that help the brain chemically get into the position it needs to for the soul to heal and to do well. I'm not personally a fan of those meds. In most cases, I think it just masks the symptoms and the people don't get to the real issue. But when they are necessary, I think it's perfectly acceptable to take what is there and use it and continue to get better. So I think it's a myth that we can say to Christians, hey, if you get saved and you read the Bible and you go to church, You should have no problems. You should never be depressed. You should never be anxious. The caveat with that, I will say, is the Bible does say that we shouldn't fear, that we should not be anxious. But there is a process to getting there. If you are anxious, you first need to recognize, hey, I'm feeling anxiety. And then you take authority over that anxiety. You tell it it's not allowed to stay. It has to go in the name of Jesus. And then you can stand on the verses of scripture that talk about casting your care on him because he cares for you. And you can stand by faith now, having first acknowledged there is an issue here that needs to be addressed, and then addressing that issue. Now you can stand in faith because you've taken care of the physical part of it by acknowledging it, and now you're moving into the spiritual realm and you're using your authority to combat anything that might be attacking you demonically. I think it is perfectly acceptable to go see a counselor, to go see a therapist. I actually have been to several counselors on and off throughout my life. 
But sometimes it's just nice to have somebody to talk to who is not all up in your business. And they're not attached to your family. They're not going to rat you out to your parents, whisper things to your siblings, turn around to your best friend and be like, did you hear what she said? It's nice to have somebody you can go to in confidence. And if you don't have the ability to do that, grab a journal. If you need to, burn your entries after you write them. It helps to just get it out. Sometimes when I'm very busy and I feel like I'm pulled in a million different directions and I can't focus, I'll just sit down and I'll make a to-do list. I may not get to a single thing on that list, but the fact that I wrote it down helps me to settle my thoughts and to focus so that I can do what I need to. Even if that list is full of stuff that is six months down the road, I mean, obviously I can't accomplish all, all six months worth of stuff in one day, right? Uh, it just helps to get it out of my head on paper and then set it aside. And that's part of healing. You need to get it out, look at it, examine it, see it for what it is, recognize it, call it by its name. If you were raped, call it rape. Don't say you were manhandled. Don't say you were mistreated. It's rape. Call it what it is. And sometimes it's scary to call it what it is. And having a therapist or a friend there to help you really is an added benefit because they can physically hold you or at least offer support across from you. You know, just sometimes having somebody in the room with you or on the phone, somebody on the other end listening to you, even if they say nothing, is all the support that you need. So putting into place in your life, whether it be a journal, friend, therapist, those support measures that help you to acknowledge what has happened, what is happening, what you're afraid of will happen. That's step number one. If you don't acknowledge the problem, you cannot take necessary steps to fix the problem. And then, of course, after you realize your leg is broken, you should probably go get that checked out. You should probably sit down with somebody who can help you with your situation, someone who has more wisdom, more experience, more training, and talk to them. If at all possible, talk to somebody who can help you move from point A to point B. If you are in isolation in a prison and you have nobody to talk to, or you have been abducted and you're in a shack somewhere and you are by chance hearing this podcast and there's nobody around to help you, or you're just an extreme hermit and you never leave your house and you don't want friends, any of those scenarios, if you have nobody, you do have the Holy Spirit. The Lord is always ever-present is only a single word away all you have to do is just acknowledge him ask him for his help ask him to help you hear him because he will respond to you and just let him in let him into your heart let him into your thoughts let him into your life experiences let him into your pain he is the healer and he will bring healing that's just what he does healers bring healing that's just what they do so that's my encouragement to you. Acknowledge it, get it out, examine it, deal with what it is. Be honest. You have to be honest with yourself. If you can't be honest with yourself, who can you be honest with? Pain hurts, and the point of pain is to let you know something is not right. That's the reason we have so many nerve endings in our body. It's to alert us if something is wrong. Something needs to be changed. And pain is actually meant for our healing. Without it, we would never know 
that were walking around on two broken legs and busted toes. And we would do severe damage to our physical bodies if we didn't have those nerve endings. Likewise, things like angry outbursts, unexplained mood changes, sitting there crying for quote-unquote no reason. These things are indications that something is wrong somewhere inside of your soul, some repressed memory, some traumatic event. Something is causing pain and it needs to be dealt with. Wow, babe, this is amazing. You shared a lot of tips, a lot of wisdom that the Create Culture family can really take to heart and have a practical application to when it comes to their emotional intelligence. Uh, emotional intelligence is not just identifying your feelings. It's vast. It's broad. It's deep. And it takes time. And as you're hearing this, this is the Create Culture podcast. It revolves around creating culture. You and I have the ability to impact our community, our environment, our families. But as you and I both know, it begins with us. In this aspect, when we're talking about the topic of emotional intelligence, is crucial. Because how are we going to impact people around us if we have hurts? How are we going to help them if we don't know how to help ourselves? And so as you listen to this, I hope you get tons of takeaways, but especially that there would be one area that you can really apply to your life today. Because as you know, as, if, as you've heard many times over, that if you want to see a change in the world, you need to be the change. You need to think differently. And let's create culture together. Hey, Create Culture family, thank you for listening today. Thank you for subscribing and sharing this with your friends and family. And we hope you have a great week.